And so the way that I respond to that is especially, hey, listen, I'm just glad you're okay. And because I don't know what happened to you. I don't know if you've been kidnapped or if you'd broken your leg or whatever, but not that any, I mean, the kidnapping is a good excuse, but it's unlikely. But anyways, you don't know. You do not know. So yes, I'm just glad you're safe. I always start the message off with that. I'm just glad you're safe. However, your message makes no sense. I hope you can see that. And if you want to tell me about it, if you want me to, if you want to tell me about what really happened, then I'm all ears and I'd love to sit down. But either way, I wish you the absolute best in your life. Sign my name, Adam. So I offer the empathy point. I offer the empathy that maybe something bad did happen in her life that I have absolutely no idea about. Maybe her child got taken away for the last four weeks and she wasn't able to see her child and she just wasn't in the place that she wanted to be romantic with someone. You know, maybe her ex, maybe her ex was, you know, had done some shit, thrown a Molotov cocktail through her window. You, I've known girls like this, like that have ex-partners like this. We're going to talk about more of these stories, bro. There's another girl that comes to mind when we talk about the Molotovs. Uh, <laughs> not my, not through my window, <laughs> but through her ex's windows. Uh, you don't know what's happened. So always offer the empathy, but you cannot let it slide that she went cold for four weeks. She's making it very hard to love you. How can she expect you to love her if she goes cold for four weeks, gives you absolutely nothing, and then just comes back and expects you? And what was she expecting is what I'm saying here, my friends. What was she expecting? That you were just going to let that slide? Just forget that she went radio silence for four weeks with no explanation, just left you hanging. For all I knew, she was dead. For all I knew, she had been taken off by the Taliban. I don't know. I don't know. She could have had a heart attack. She could have been drafted to the WNBA. I don't bloody know. So you can't let that slide at the same time, which is why I say, however, your message makes no sense because it literally in that example I gave you that she said that her phone was broken. She didn't even check the app. That literally makes no sense because it was her turn to respond. As in, she'd seen the response and it was her time to respond. As in, we were arranging for the date. I said, does Saturday or Sunday work better for you? And that's when she went silent. So that makes no sense. She's obviously not being truthful about that. She saw the message. And we were in the depths of organizing the date as well. So that also makes no sense. Like we were going back and forward. So for her to just forget about checking makes no sense. So you just say that literally this message makes no sense. Like it doesn't make sense what you're saying. If you'd like to tell me about what really happened, I'm all ears to it and I'd love to know. But if not, I wish you all the best anyway. So you don't want to be too aggressive about it, but you do need to call it out and call it forward. And that is the calling forward part, which is that I would still love to hear about it. It's like, I'm not going to let you get away with the lie, but I also want to understand why you felt like you had to lie to me. So there you go. Yeah, we package that up. So, so that was just one example of when, when, it can, when a girl can be appearing very, very fiery and very, very lusty but then just breaks down and goes completely cold and just makes it impossible to love her. It's just just impossible to love her. And that's what I'm talking about is girls that make it hard to love them. Is that how can she, how can a woman who, a girl I should say, how can a girl who does that expect a guy to love her? You can't just drop out on him for weeks and weeks at a time and expect that he's going to be back. It's like no matter how intense the reason may be, he needs to know why. You know, there's a great experiment done. I have mentioned this experiment before. 
I can't remember the people that constructed this experiment, but it's a good one. You could easily find this if you just type the keywords into the Google, which is 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 an experiment done. Oh, it's done in it's in um, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, and it was a experiment done on people waiting for trains. They took two groups, one group that was asked to wait at a platform and just to wait. The train will come. It will come. But we're not going to tell you when. Just wait. And then you take the group B that they have to wait at the platform for the train, but it comes in one hour. It's going to take a while. You're not going to be able to do anything else, but it's coming in an hour. I believe the participants had the choice of whether to stay or leave. And that, of course, in the group that had no marker of when the train would come they saw a much higher drop-off rate of people that just wanted to they want to peace out this is how human beings work you, you need to give people hope you need to give them at the core root hope an idea of when a finality when a decision will be made when a concrete evidence of moving forward has taken place will take place that's what human beings need that is the bedrock of what hope is and so that's what that experiment really demonstrated to me. It might not even be the purpose of the experiment. But to me, I always reference that experiment as, as when we're talking about particular human beings and social dynamics, is that, you know, if, if she had just told me in that previous example, if she had just told me that, hey, listen, Adam, if, I, know, I know we had a great day. And I know it was an amazing time. And I really thank you for that, as I thanked you before. And I know that we were just about to organize to meet again, but I've got this child parent parental hearing with my ex-partner and i'm just so out of sorts of it i'm so i'm just an absolute mess about it because i really don't want to see him again because of my past physical trauma and whatnot so i really just need to take a few weeks just to really get through this and i don't want to kind of mess with what's happening between you and i because of it so is it all right if you just for three or four weeks we just kind of park this experience between you and i together our relationship and then we can come back to it hard yes a solid yes. Of course, I'm going to be like, yes, of course, of course. You know why though? Because you explained it to me. Because you gave me the hope of when this ends. Because you told me that it's not just going to be you saying, all right, I'm out. Or you're not even telling me that I'm out, that you just peace out. And then you go radio silence for an indefinite amount of time, which just so happened to be revealed as four weeks, come back and then try to pretend like nothing happened. How do you expect a guy to love you? if you're just going to pretend like nothing happened when you dropped him cold for four weeks. <sighs> Forgiveness is always there, of course. Of course, I, I hold no ill will to this girl in particular. She's got her son to look after. I'm sure there were, there, I'm sure there were variables going on that I had no idea about. But I just look back on that and go, I was so ready to give you my love. I was so ready to love you. And don't, please, my friends, please, 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 onigashimasu, please do not misalign what I just said with the word love as Disney magic, I'm your prince, you're my princess type love. When I say love, I'm talking about the love that I give to everyone and anyone that lets me in. When I'm talking about love, I'm talking about giving all of myself to you. Loving someone is giving all of myself. And what all of myself means is all of my presence all of my eyes, when I look at you, it goes into you. It does not stop at this thin veneer, at this illusory surface between you and I. 
It's like when I look into your eyes, I'm go deep and I'm penetrate in. I want to feel every single fiber of you. I want to become you. I want us to become one. That's my loving someone. The way that I hold you, the way that I touch you, the way that I breathe you in, and I take in your scent, I take in your aroma. I feel your gentle touch. I feel the light perspiration on your skin. You know, that light bead of sweat that drips down your neck. That's my way of loving you. My way of loving you is that in each and every moment, I'm here with you. I'm not in the politics. I'm not in the lockdowns. I'm not in the Instagrams or the Facebooks or the keeping out with the Kadash. I'm just here with you. When I say about that other girl that all I wanted to do was just love you, that's what I'm talking about. It's not all I wanted to do was be your husband or be your son's surrogate father or to be your provider of financial stimulus. I'm, I'm not here to be your boyfriend, but I say I'm here to love you. So I, I want to have the opportunity to give all of myself in a moment with you, which means to let go of all my thoughts, to let go of all my preconceived notions or my PTSD, all of my sexual abuse and trauma and things that have gone on in my life. I, I want an opportunity to let go of all of that and just to shed Shed the darkness within me and only experience the light that I know can be had between two human beings. That's what it means when I say that I want to love you. I want that with all human beings. It's just that sometimes it comes with a sexual polarization. I want that with my brother. I want that with my father. I want that with... My sister's husband, Hado, shout out to Hado if you listen to this, who's an absolute, he's an absolute boss. I want to love him as well. I want to love my brother. I want to love my father. I want to love Mike Adu. Shout out to Mike Adu's son. Oh, no, shout out to Mike. I want to deliver that level of presence with everyone. Even more so when it comes to a sexually polarized connection and space. And vessel. I want to feel that vessel. I want to feel and feel that vessel. And this is, um, we're touching on a point here where I had mentioned before, earlier on this podcast, of how the want for fulfillment, how when we establish future envisionment of where we think this relationship is going to go with this person or how we're going to feel with them, what we can create together, what we can experience together, and it does not come to be. You you can add that to your hurt locker. You can add that pain to your hurt locker of the unrequited love, of the unfulfilled love. But it only stops you from feeling love with someone new. So we learn as mature, evolved beings to not uphold and to not hold on to those envisioned desires and envisioned experiences that we could have had with someone if it didn't come to be then it didn't come to be if for whatever reason and let's just say you did your absolute best but they still put the blocks the blockades went up and it could not progress then give that love to someone else if they weren't ready or willing or desiring of that love 
whatever it may have been, it's no loss to you because that source of love is inexhaustible. It's eternal. It's infinite. So that girl in particular that I just mentioned, it's important to note that, my friends, that there's nothing but forgiveness for her, even though the way that she treated me was outwardly very poor. And that if she came back to me today, let's just say I got a message today, and it said, hey, listen, I I know I fucked up. I know that I fucked up. And I want to try this again. I know that it might be a bit difficult, but if you're willing, I'd love to meet up. I'd be like, yes. Yes, let's do it. Not because it's, I'm coming from a place of scarcity and which is like, oh shit. No, you know, because that's definitely a potential. You could be in scarcity. And I've got clients like this that the moment that a previous partner comes back to them, they run, they go running. They go running to them because they're in a place of scarcity. But no, you'd only say yes out of a place of abundance. You'd only say yes out of a place of already feeling whole within yourself and knowing that if I was going to re-entertain this experience with this human being, it's coming from a place that I just want to understand. And that's, uh, I think that's probably the best thing you could do. That is the best thing you could do to forgive and then just to want to know, to understand. Be willing because a lot of people shut off that avenue. They shut off the avenue of wanting to understand and they go, well, I feel like I knew everything. You know, this person is just a bad person because of the way they treated me. But hang on, did you know why they treated you that way? Uh, no. Well, then you don't know. And it's the, that's a de-evolution of your psychological maturity to not want to understand someone else's perspective or to not want to understand why someone did what they did. You know, particularly when you see murderers, rapists, people that commit heinous actions, even if you just look at someone like Hitler, it doesn't excuse or permit their behavior to want to understand why they did what they did. Because you may find out that a majority of sexual abusers and rapists have been raped and sexually abused themselves. Now, that does not excuse or permit their behavior, but does it not offer you a certain level of empathetic perspective? That what if you were in that position? What if you had been sexually abused or raped before and then found yourself in such a dark worldview that you felt that you had to do that to someone else. Well, maybe you might just understand them a little bit better. It's not to say that you're permitting them, but you might just understand them a little bit better and gain a little extra level of psychological maturity. The day that you stop trying to understand, you lost yourself. You you should never sin bin people without understanding their sins. Okay, so where are we at in this podcast? I've gone to so many micros. Okay, there's another story for you. Girls that are hard to love. I'm really kind of just working my way through different stages and different examples here. Here's a different one. Girls that make them hard to love. We haven't even talked about girls that make it easy to love them. <laughs> where, how, where are we at in this? Uh, we're, not that, we're not that deep. We're almost two hours. We're like an hour and, hour and 40-ish, an hour and something like that. So... The recent example I just gave you was a young girl with children, you know, 20, I think she was 21 or maybe 22. And really I was using her example to categorize a whole box of stories. I could give you many, many different individual ones. That's just probably the most extreme and highlighted version of young girls with children that just peace out for no reason. 
and then try to come back later with no explanation. Yeah, that's it's something I've noticed amongst the younger demographic quite a bit. But how does that manifest in the older demographic? Oh, hang on, my friends. My camera is just about to die. Let me just change the battery out for a second. Right. Okay, my friends, we are back. Just change out the battery. Normally, I don't have to change the battery because I've got an AC adapter. But last time I used the AC adapter, the SD card just malfunctioned. Like I recorded half an hour of a podcast and then it just corrupted. So now I'm like gunshot using that. So anyways, anyways, I have to get beyond that. So older demographic, that's what we're talking about here. How does this manifest in the older demographic, girls that are hard to love? What I've been saying with North of 30s, let's say North of 30s here. I'm seeing a pre-willingness to engage in a romantic experience. So whereas in the younger demographic, they're quite gung-ho to get into a romantic or sexual experience. So they're willing to get, they make it quite easy to get out onto the first date, to go through that first sexual experience or lead up to it at least. But then they can go, they can get very, very cold feet very, very quickly. They can, we, we didn't even finish that up, by the way. I'm just realizing we didn't even finish up what my ruminization or best guess, best ex- estimation of why that's happening, of why younger girls are particularly just dropping cold at certain state, particularly at that early stage. Let me just say this before we do move on to the old, the mature girls, because I realized I forgot to give you that. In my opinion, it's because if you're looking at what their past, and by the way, it's all pre-noted and underscored with that they all have some form of abuse in their background. With all these girls, I found out in the first dates or pre, prior to the first dates that they had been sexually abused or physically abused either by older figures or by most most of the time, past partners. Typically, their exes that they had their child with. It's a very common thing. And that when they get a new light and they get a new love, I showed you before, or I told you before, that when a new light and a new love comes in, it can bring awareness to the pain that they have not dealt with. You know, a lot of human beings, they don't deal directly with their pain. They just store it in the hurt locker. They just stitch it up. They stitch up the wound but they forget to take the stitch out. They never allow it to heal, to fully heal. They never clear the locker out. You know, it's okay in a short-term acute period to put things into a hurt locker to be dealt with later, but most people forget to deal with it. You know, they take this hurt locker on, they store this body of pain, but they never set it free. And so when a new light comes in and someone comes knocking on that hurt locker, hey, open up, let's see what's inside. That's very confronting. It can be very overwhelming, for, especially for a girl who's young, who has a child that had been abused by her ex-partner that she had the child with. And now this new light's coming in, this new guy's coming in, who's showing a very high level of performance. He's going to be direct to me. He's going to be congruent. He's going to be authentic. He's showing me all kinds of levels of empathy. But I've got so much shit that I'm dealing with myself, and I thought I was good. I thought it was okay. So I started off this experience with him. I started getting romantic and sexual with him. But now all of a sudden, I realize I can't ignore this. Now, all of a sudden, I'm getting reminded of what it might be like to get sexually involved with another guy. Shit. It's like I haven't dealt with the previous pain of the previous guy, either from a more positive sense, I just don't want to put that on him, or from a more negative sense, not even externally negative, but a self-interpreted negative of that, what if I fuck this up? What if I completely fuck this up? No, I'm not going to do it, and, I, and she'll peace out. That's what I feel is mostly going on with those girls that peace out when the experience has been bang on, but then just completely uh, drop off and they go cold turkey with very little explanation after that. So now that we got that out of the way, 
let's move to the older demographic. Talking about north of 30s. Pre-willingness. The pre-willingness. And what does that even mean? What I'm talking about is they are very, very difficult to get out. The girls that make it very hard to love them who are older, you see this manifest very early on. And I'm talking to the point of where they won't even allow the inception. It's like because they're older, they're more guarded, their shells have had harder, have hardened, they've had more time to become harder. The blockades have been reinforced over years, just purely because of time. And so it can be much, much more difficult to get them to open up to a new experience just because they're so fortified, so calloused. And when I'm talking about callous, think about that, the calluses that you get on your hands that I can literally feel on my pads right now from hanging on Olympic rings. It's just reinforced, stiff, hard. And it's not because they don't want to be loved. It's just because their rapid, repeated experiences have shown them that I'm likely to be broken, distrusted, betrayed by masculine energy, so I'm just not going to let it in. They can form that view for some time. But then oftentimes what you find with, you might think, well, then how on earth do you even find yourself in positions with women like this or girls like this if, if they're that hard? It's in their burgeoning process. In the burgeoning process of them starting to thaw out to file down their calluses around their emotional wounds and to open themselves up to maybe what a new love of light could be in their life. This is where you happen upon these girls. And so I noticed uh, particularly over the last three years or so, I came across quite a few of these 30s and not 30s that they're not like the younger MILFs that have really lusting fiber at the beginning, like showing intense sexuality at the beginning. They're not like that. They are pretty, they are slightly cold. Say slightly cold. If you got ice turtle tail, ice turtle shell on a zero, lusting five birds at ten, neutrals five in the middle. I'm saying fours, three to three point five to fours, which means that there's just enough. There's just enough femininity. There's just enough expression. Just enough, a little bit of emotion coming through, and the things they say, the the way that they send voice messages back to you. If you met on an online dating app, or the way that they text. Uh, when you're setting up logistics, depending on how you guys met, you know, there's just a little glimmer, a little light where you go, I can imagine, I can envision how free she could be. She's very restricted, but she's not totally restricted. That's how this can come to be. So, so you want to walk the line. And so you, as you walk down the line with them and you try to organize logistics for a day, this is how it goes, you know. You're having a pretty amicable amicable and pretty receptive conversation. It was not particularly sexual, but you know, it seemed like the yeah, guys had a bit of a connection. And you say, hey, well, let's just get to know each other, go on an adventure, meet up at the park or whatever. Get a coffee, get a tea, and just get to know each other. And she agrees to it. I'll say, let's send it in three or four days. And then day before, she sends a message saying, hey, still good for 12 p.m. tomorrow? Yeah, yeah cool. See you there. By the way, guys, just take a quick pause here for a second. You don't need to do that. Like... Do any of you remember when we didn't have smartphones and if you said to your friend, meet me at the park at five on Thursday, you just were there because you had home phones and that was it. You had MSN Messenger on your desktop. You know, so people, you stuck to your word is what I'm saying. Like you, don't, you don't need to message someone 
five minutes before you're meeting up saying, hey, we still good for 4.30? It's like 4.25. It's like, just trust that I'll be there, okay? Imagine if you didn't have a phone and you weren't able to send that. So anyways, resuming the story. Says the text the day before, hey, we still good for 12 p.m.? I'm like, yeah, see 12 p.m. tomorrow. Not that it ever changed because I didn't say it was changing. (laughs) And then literally the next morning rolls around. It's like 8 a.m., 8.30 a.m. And you get a text saying, oh, sorry, something's come up. Can't make it. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Something's come up. Can't make it. You're like, okay, that's fine. Anyways, have have a good one. That's a very key point of how I responded. Are we going to break down the social dynamics of that? It's pretty key, actually. We probably should. Because I'm saying things very naturally because it's natural. What I'm saying, but what I just said should not be breezed over. Let's not breeze over it. Why Why is it so important what I just said? When, when, she, when we arrange for a date, remember this, this girl's over 30s. And remember, I'm, I'm using one story right now. I'm talking about one story in particular, but it really in- reflects and represents an entire box of stories. It just There's too many of them that I couldn't just go through all of them in this session. So I'm just picking one in particular. But largely the principles are reflecting in, across many, many different stories. Just kind of funneled into this one. Why is it important how I responded to her? If, we, if things have been not icy, but not warm, the cold, like they were cold. She's not, she's barely said anything even, barely would classify flirtatious. So we're not even talking about sexually connotized things. And now uh, if you met up on either Tinder or Bumble or whatever, or if even if you had met in real life, and even if your interaction in real life had been pretty lackluster in terms of sexual connection, but you felt something, so you still decided to exchange details and to organize for a day two or a day three, of the ne- uh, day two the next week. However you guys met, it was not hot by any stretch. It was not warm by any stretch. It was like barely neutral, slightly like neutral to s- central neutral to slightly cold. You know what I'm talking about? So that's the way it began. But then it worked out the logistics to meet up with each other. That was all fine. She even sent a reconfirmation, which, as we've now discussed, is not necessary. But she sent the reconfirmation the previous day saying, hey, still good for 12 p.m. tomorrow? I'm, yep, still good for 12 p.m. tomorrow. You get to 12 p.m. or you get to 8, 8 a.m. the next day and she sends the message saying, sorry, something's coming up. I really can't make it. Something's really come up. And uh, oh, I need to give you another example. I was being very general when I said that because I wasn't focused on one on literally the exact details of that one particular story. But now I can now I can actually because I was I started off that story in generalities, like I said, reflecting many, many different types of stories. But now I'll give you one specific one. The actual message from that one particular girl was 8 a.m. that morning. She sends me a text saying, hey, sorry, I can't make it today. I thought I was ready. But I'm not. I'm I'm really sorry, but you know it would be good. I hope we can stay connected. I hope we can stay connected. I'm not ready. I'm sorry. I hope we can stay connected. You know, keep chatting up type thing. That's the message she sends the next morning, like four or five hours before we're supposed to meet. It's like, okay. How did I respond? Yeah, no worries. No problem. Have a good one. It's not a problem. What I want you to focus on 
and to understand is the importance of what I responded with. How I responded. Did I inquire as to why she's not ready? Nope. Did I press for information on what I could have done wrong? Which would have been an assumption because she never said that I did anything wrong. But that's what a lot of guys will go through. They will assume they did something wrong. I'm pretty confident. I didn't do anything wrong. We would organize the day. I haven't done anything in between now and previously to have done something so catastrophic to stop her from coming out. So I think you can be pretty confident that she's, you know what I'm saying? It's a bit of common sense, my friends. So no, I did not do that. There's another thing that I did not do. Those two are pretty obvious things. But there's one that's not obvious, but very important, which is I didn't try to re-invite. I didn't attempt to overextend myself by saying something of, oh, I really hope everything's okay with you and I just, you know, you've really got to just keep doing you at this point and absolutely, it's totally fine and, you know, whenever, 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 whenever and I'm always here for you and, and listen, I just want to know, I want to know everything and I want to understand everything and I'll always be here for you. It's, that wasn't this gushy, overextending message either. It was just, hey, listen, I, I totally understand. And, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm here when you want to reconnect. Have a good one. I think that was pretty much my exact words. I'm here when you want to try this again or reconnect. And, but otherwise, have a good time, you know. Take care of yourself type thing. It was not a gushy message by any means. The importance of that, when discussing girls that make it hard to love them, is that she needs to know that despite her pre-willingness to engage in a romantic experience, number one, I was always ready. That this was always going to be a clean connection between you and I. I wasn't expecting anything from you. I wasn't expecting sex from you. I wasn't expecting more dates. I wasn't expecting a relationship. I was just going to be here to connect. That was the first principle of that message. I'm just here to, because if you're willing to come back, listen, we were just going to get to know each other. That's it, you know? That's what it was founded upon. Let's get to know each other. Let's connect. Because why, my friends, why is that important? Because why did she bail? We can ask, or we can conjecture pretty confidently past physical abuse or past either physical or sexual abuse. Just take the box of abuse of some kind. But then we can also take a box of self-limiting, self-limiting beliefs in terms of not sure if she can perform, not sure if she can stand up, not sure if she can portray herself the way that she has. Uh, this girl I'm talking about in particular, I met through, I think it was Bumble. And she's just not going to be able to portray herself in the way that she has through voice messages and text messages. So you got, uh, you got a, what's the, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? It's not just self-limiting beliefs. That is the crux of it, but it's uh, self-sabotage. There we go. A self-sabotage mechanism. And there's probably a few more boxes. Ah, the fear of expectations on my end. That's the third box. What's, what is he going to expect from me? Is he going to expect sex? Is he going to expect dates, relationships, etc.? You got really three different boxes there. So this is obviously more like outliers, but those are the three typical ones that you could see as to why a girl would just absolutely bail that early when things had been previously fine beforehand. So it's really important to remind her that, listen, I was just here to connect. I was just here to get to know you. I wasn't expecting nothing. 
So when you're ready for that, you let me know. I'm not going to press you. I'm not going to try and hit you up every single day or every single weekend now trying to say, are you ready? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm not going to be like that with you. Not only because I am way too socially calibrated, way too understanding of the fact that your behavior does not make any literal sense, which means that there must be something deep-seated, something emotionally underneath here that I don't know about, which I can't really conjecture towards very specifically, but I can say generally that there must be something going on here in terms of pre-context, physical abuse, sexual abuse, in terms of self-limiting beliefs, the self-sabotage, the rationalization around that, or potentially that you have a misguided idea of what you thought I wanted from this in terms of expectations on my side. There's got to be something going on here because I've done nothing in the last 24 hours that would give you anything or any other reason to not want to come out. So, so that's why we, we want to make sure she knows what our intent was and that we're not, and also our demonstration. The way that we demonstrate everything that I just said is by not gushing. It's what you don't do. It's not trying to convince her that it was going to be something, this, this X, Y, and Z. It was just, hey, I was just there to connect, just get to know each other, and you let me know when you're good. I'm not trying to convince her to be good. I'm not trying to convince her to hurry up and to deal with her internal pain and her internal hurt locker so that she can finally come out of it. It's, I'm not in that mind. It's like you already should be in a place of abundance in which that you don't need anyone. You don't need someone to hurry up. You don't need someone to deal with their pain any faster than they're capable of already to. Let them deal with themselves as they need to deal with themselves. If that means that this person is not sexually available, both physically, mentally, or spiritually on any level for the next three, six, 12 years at a time, then that's what it is. Move on. Move on. Let go of them. They've got their own work to do. They've got their own journey to walk. They've got their mountain to climb. So you don't need to be an extra weight in their bag. You don't need to be another person knocking on their hurt locker saying, open up and deal with it. She knows she has her hurt locker. She knows that she not only made mistakes here, but was not ready to enter this potentially newfound sexual romantic experience with you. And that she is hurting more about that than you will ever know. This is a tremendous point. Girls that make it hard to love them, they're hurting far more than you know. Girls that make it hard to love them because they either bail out on experiences that you thought were going really well. You thought you treated her real well and then all of a sudden she just drops you cold like nothing. Girls that make it hard to love them because they won't give you their eyes, they won't give you the vocals, they won't give you touch. It's just even at the most basic levels. I'm talking about literally holding her hand, literally just mirroring on the vocal tonality or mirroring in terms of the sensuality in your voice or just mirroring your eye contact to look at each other in the eyes, to go into each other's eyes. If she's not giving you any of those things, girls that make it hard to love in that sense, girls that make it hard to love because they lead you on and on and on and then just drop you cold for months at a time and then never came back, whatever it may be. They are hurting far more than you realize. You may have the social calibration and you may have the social savviness and calibration now as a result of listening to this podcast or if you didn't already have it prior to this podcast. At, oh, there must be so many other things going on underneath her. But if you didn't have that, you can be forgiven. But then we come to this principle and law of ignorance. <laughs> ignorance is not an excuse. It's not an excuse in the end result in which that 
You know, it's like, this is why I always treat people with respect. Always treat people with the benefit of the doubt. Always treat people with forgiveness, no matter what happens. You have absolutely no idea what battle they're facing, what wound they're attempting to heal, what hurt locker they're attempting to clean out. You just don't know. So, especially with girls that make it hard to love them. It's hard though, from a male perspective, I get it. It's very hard from a male perspective to put your own demons at peace, to, to let yourself lie in peace when you thought this connection was just blooming with this girl. And I think this is why abundance is so important. You know, when we talk about abundance in dating, most people categorize it in terms of this kind of playboy, selfish, just fuck bitches type mindset. Like that's why you want abundance. You just want more sex. But actually what abundance teaches you is that detachment, that you don't own any one person, that one person is not the dictator of your emotional experience as a human being in this world, that you can experience many fulfilling connections, both on sexual and non-sexual planes, both on planes of just a hand-to-hand, to a heart-to-heart, to an eye-to-eye, to a lip-to-lip, to a filling and filling. You know, it's there are many levels that can be experienced in between our human experience, our human connection with each other. There are many levels of our experience in human connection, some sexual, some not. And of the sexual ones, what abundance teaches you is that I don't need any one. I would love to experience with one, with you being this one, but I don't ever needed it. I never needed you. And I never needed you to progress further beyond what you were ready for, progress further than what you were ever capable of. Because I'm just here. And we're just here. Yeah, that, that's, that's where you need to find yourself as a masculine being coming across a girl that makes it hard to love her. The reason why it's hard to love her is because you want to love her. It's hard to love her from your perspective because you want to love her. You would not be in this emotional hurricane if you did not have the desire to want to give yourself to her and to feel the full array of emotional and loving connection and experience with her. It just so happens that she has this blockade, this blockade of pain, this hurt locker of pain, this stitched up wound of scar tissued pain that she has not dealt with yet and is forming a callus around what could be received on her end. Just because that is what's happening, it's, you have to understand that. And that if you get so fixated on her, which is clearly not ready to deal with those stitches, to break down that blockade, to clear out that locker, then you're never going to be able to live your life. You're never going to be able to grow. Guys, I get it. I get it so much because these stories I tell you, that I've been telling you throughout this entire podcast, I'm talking about them now in retro, once I've already dealt with the pain. But the pain is not... You may have assumed that there was no pain. Hang on, what pain? (laughs) You didn't mention any pain, Adam. Yeah, because... I'm talking as a coach and I'm talking as an arbitrator of wisdom right now. Not that I think I am the arbitrator of wisdom. What I'm talking about is the arbitration of my own wisdom, which is that experience. Experiences of my own life that I have synthesized into principles and understandings that have now become my own wisdom. You may or may not see it as wisdom, but I know on an internal experiential level, it is my, my wisdom. No one else taught me this. This is what I firsthand learned. And I learned through pain. Through all the stories that I mentioned, when I mentioned that young MILF before, the one that I walked back to the car, 
And you know, she just went back, went cold for like four weeks and then came back after four weeks and tried to pretend like it was nothing. I felt a lot of pain over that situation for a very short period of time, but it was a very intense level of pain. A younger Adam would have felt the same level of intensity of pain for a very long time because he wasn't able to let her go. A younger Adam would not have been able to let that go. He would have been having wakeless night, uh, sleepless nights, sleepless nights and wakeless mornings in which that, you know, I will not lie that when you have such a Titanic-like experience with a girl that you think, holy shit, this is, this is next level. For anyone listening to this, the people that you truly fell in love with, and I mean not just puppy dog love, not relationships that lasted a couple of weeks or a month or so. I'm talking about relationships where you take a bullet for that person and not just a bullet for that person over a couple of weeks because you're puppy dog love, but you take a bullet for them over years. It's like you spent, and even if you didn't spend years together, that you would still years later take a bullet for them. That's when you know that you truly formed that depth of connection with them. Very few people in my experience made that criteria of the take a bullet for them over time. You know, you I'll take a bullet for anyone. I'd take a bullet for anyone. But it's a different category if I'm willing to say that I'll take a bullet for you over years now. As in what I'm talking about there is if I found myself on an airplane or if I found myself in a random shopping mall and some gunman came out and there's a random woman and child next to me, and if I had a decision, it's like either you, either they take the bullet or you take the bullet, I'll take the bullet. I don't know them, and it's not like I have any special connection to them, but there's something in my DNA that says I need to take that bullet. Whether I would be able to physically perform that mechanic, I don't know. I'm not trained. I would say I would take a, I would take a guess, though, at saying that I probably wouldn't physically be able to do it. Like I wouldn't voluntarily physically be able to do it just purely because I know how human beings react under extreme life-threatening scenarios, which is that they freeze. Human beings freeze. If you are not trained to deal with a gunman, you will freeze. doesn't matter how tough you think you are, how big your muscles are. If you have not looked down the barrel of a gun or been through training exercises similar to it, you will freeze. I, I know this. Even Listen, my friends. The, the first time I found this out was in paintball. Let's just take a side step here for a second because this is important. The first time I found this out is imp- that that the movies aren't quite the movies is because I used to I was a, I fucking love Call of Duty. I, I love war movies. From the moment I was able to, I was old enough to go rent DVDs down a blockbuster. R.I.P. Because <laughs> Netflix became the goat. Uh, where blockbuster was a thing. Every single movie I was renting was Full Metal Jacket, was Two Letters from Iwo Jima, was uh, Saving Private Ryan. It was all the war movies. I just wanted to be a soldier throughout all of my teenage years until I actually got experience in the Army Cadets. We'll talk about that later. But it was during that time period that I signed up to a paintball team. And I never, I'd shot a gun when I was a kid, but it was just a rifle on a farm. You know, it was a, and it was also a bolt, bolt action as well. So it wasn't an automatic and when you go to paintball, paintball is an automatic, is a automatic uh, weapons firing system. Of course, it's just shooting paintballs, but it's auto- fully automatic. And so I remember we went with like 16 of my friends from high school and we went up to the hills in Adelaide and we just threw down this paintball. And there was this one particular field. It was the first field. It was raining as well. This is the thing. Because it was raining, you guys know what happens when you're breathing heavy in a paintball mask. And if you haven't got the highest level of professional 
the highest level of professional paintball masks, those visors aren't fog. Those visors aren't fog treated. Sorry, this is really annoying fly around me. Those visors aren't fog treated. So if you're breathing hot air and there's a hot air into the mask and the surrounding environment is cold, it's going to fog up just like what happens in your car window inside your car. And so I was in the first battle and, you know, I thought I was an absolute badass. I thought I was going to fucking nail this shit. I thought I was a, just an absolute G because I, I just thought, you know, I was fit and I love all this war shit. I understand military tactics to a certain degree. Okay, I'll fucking nail this. And so I got this paper gun, we run out onto the field. As soon as the guns start cracking and it's just like, and I'm, I just, I fucking froze. It didn't help that I couldn't see. <laughs> okay, it did not help that I couldn't see. But even then, I'm not going to be that generous to myself. I was frozen in terms of behind a certain like short, short walk, like a hip high brick wall. Just at the sound of the sound of the guns going, I froze for a good 30, 40 seconds until my heart rate calmed down. And so I was able to finally move and just get fucking destroyed as I came around the corner. But I felt that freeze. And this was just paintballs. I wasn't going to die from getting shot by a paintball. Later on throughout the day, I got acclimated to that that sound and to the stress of it and to getting used to the scenario because you're getting trained in the moment with the scenario. So, 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 okay. So bring back to the point here. You're not as tough as you think you are if you are not trained in it. If you, you think everyone thinks they're a badass until they get smacked in the face. Right. Everyone thinks that they're, they're tough shit until they take a right hook. And then all of a sudden you find out who you really are. And it's just based on your training. It's not that you're not mentally or philosophically courageous, but your, philosophic, philo- your philosophical courage is not the same as your experiential courage, your ability to actually take that courage and use it. Like, there have been very philosophically courageous people in our times that never held a sword, that never picked up a gun, that never had to take anyone's life. But they directed the people that were trained to pick up the swords, to pick up the guns, and take other people's lives. There are different levels of courage is what I'm saying. So, bringing this right back now. If, this is, that was a really deep bamboo shoe right there. If there was... Philosophically, if there was posed with the position that there was a mother and child next to me and there's a gunman who's going to take the bullet, I'll take the bullet. Philosophically, I will take the bullet. Would I actually be able to act that out in real life? I would say, let's give it a percentage chance. If I had done a workout that day, if I had been watching some war film that day, maybe, maybe, maybe I would trust myself to take that bullet. But I would... But it's a long shot. What I would say is that because I've not been trained in front of live ammunition scenarios and live gunman scenarios, I would probably do what nine put out of 10 people would do, which is that you would freeze. You wouldn't even, even if everything inside of you told you to get in front of those children and that woman, unless it was your own child and woman, that's a different thing. This is a different thing. All right, we're getting deep on this shit. If it's, a, if it's your own blood, there's a different DNA switch comes in. A different DNA switch comes in. This is the same thing with mothers that can deadlift cars to get their children out of them. Right? That you know, with the child's trapped underneath the car and they have to deadlift the car. Now she's gonna she's gonna pop a few discs. She's gonna tear a few ligaments. She's gonna just she's gonna obliterate her nervous system doing it. 
right? She won't be able to walk for months after it, but she'll fucking deadlift that car. She'll get that car up to get that baby out. The limiters will be turned off. But if it was for someone else's child, I highly doubt that would happen. Very unlikely. Almost impossible. Almost. Because those, those ancestral limiters will not be released. And the chemical response to having your own kin in that mortal danger has not been incited. So if the woman and child was my own woman and child, I would give myself a very high rating of being able to jump in front of that bullet. Not even just philosophically, but I think I would physically be able to react that way. Because then, then we hit on the key word, reaction. It would be an uncontrolled subconscious behavior that I just jump in front of them because I'm protecting my own from a very blood level-like sense. But, but anyways, <laughs> you guys thinking, this is all being well and good, but where did, how do we get onto this? <laughs> uh, I take a bull for you over years. That's what, that's what it is. I take a bull for you over years. What that concept speaks to is that, yes, I take a bullet for anyone, but what I, what I take a bullet for you over years, what that speaks to is that emotional connection that, that I have with you, which is, and now we're dragging it back up, girls that are special to you. The girls that are special to you are the ones that you will take a bullet for over years, which means that whether you're in contact with them or not, you still have that love for them, that, that care for them in which that we shared something so special together. We care. I care for you and we had something so special together that I would take a bullet for you indefinitely. No matter what happened, no matter what you did in life, I'd take the bullet for you. Those experiences and those relationships, those connections with human beings are so rare to find. I've experienced that connection with three girls in monogamous relationships and two in open and free casual relationships. So a grand total of five. Let me see. Let me see. We go B, B, J, B, B, J, <laughs> B, B, J, P, S, B, B, J, P, S. I'm just, I don't want to say their names. So yeah, it's five. So if you can, if you guys can just, just what, what does that mean? How, what does that speak to the fleeting nature of that connection or how rare it is to find that connection? Well, I always say this, I've, I've, well, I've met well over 10,000 cold human beings, and that was a long time. I need to update that number. <laughs> it's probably getting closer to twelve or 13,000 now. It's hard to know. It's like you know when you've done more than 10,000. Because you, you, you know roughly when you've met 1,000 people, and you just think about how many times have I met roughly 1,000 people. It's like I've definitely, and, and you break it down into years. It's like, if you because if you're thinking about where do you get that number from? How do you break that number down? How do you know that you've done more than 10,000 interactions? Well, if you know that you've done more than 1,000 interactions in a year and you've been, doing the journey, you've been on the journey of social dynamics for more than 10 years, then at a minimum, you would have done 10,000 interactions. So that I know for sure. I've been on the social dynamics journey since I was and practicing cold social dynamics since I was late 16. I am now 28. And I know for sure... In, I know for sure in the first, from 16, 17, well, that's not fair. That's not fair because 16 was not a full year. It was 17. It was the end of 16. So it was like 17 into 18 to 19. Those first two, I probably only met a couple hundred people. Maybe in those between 17 and 19, probably probably a thousand across those three years, probably, because that's when I was really fucking up and I wasn't meeting nearly enough people. But then from 19 onwards, I was definitely meeting more than 1,000 people this year. 
And there were many years, like for example, I'll meet 100 people in one night. There are many, many, there were slings of months where I can say for sure where if you look at Friday, if you look at Friday night, Saturday night, Friday Friday day, Friday night, Saturday day, Saturday night, Sunday morning. That's a That was a typical routine I did for a long time. And that if I was meeting in the day 10 people during the day and then close to 100 people each night, 110 people, look at that across three days, what's that? Three, let's 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 be conservative and say 320, 320, 330, 330 people across a weekend. I might make 330 people across a weekend. And then you do that for weekends back to back across years. It's like you can see very quickly, you would only have to do that. If you met 330 people a weekend, you'd only have to do that three, three, six. You'd only have to do that four times to rack up a thousand interactions just to do what I just described, to go out Friday day, Friday night, Saturday day, Saturday night, Sunday morning. You'd only have to do that four times to rack up a thousand interactions. So that's four weeks essentially to rack up a thousand interactions. And I've had, let's just call it from 19 to 28. 20, so it's 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. So yeah, it's about 9, 10 years because I'm not counting from 16, 17, 18 to 19 because I really probably only did 500-ish, 500 to 1,000 interactions across those entire that entire span. But I know for sure that I did well more than 1,000 interactions in many years. I would say that there were many years where I probably hit up, if you just look at that metric I gave you, if you're looking at, if it only took you four weeks to meet a thousand people, were there any years where you did more than that? Ah, uh, yeah. There were years, there were at least two years where we ran that routine. I could say we ran that routine, that what I called the bowl, we used to call the bowl weekend, the Friday day all the way through to Sunday morning for months, for seasons where you do that all every week for summer. There were multiple years. So the, I could. It's like I'm being, I'm being very conservative when I say that I've met over 10,000 people, which is why I always say I've met well over 10,000 people cold because there'll be many years where I probably met 4,000, 4,500 people in that year, just in that one year, if not more. I've, I probably need to update it so I've met well over 20,000 people. The reason why I'm not going to say that is because then I would have to I would have to do this explanation every single time because it's like how can you be so specific? But at least when I say over ten thousand, it's like yeah, okay, most people can kind of, I guess, I guess I can figure how that would work out. This is just the first time I'm actually doing the math to help you to understand it. People don't understand. People don't understand. <laughs> now, why did I go into that whole breakdown of of how you can rack up those many interactions? It's actually not that hard to meet 10,000 people. It's actually not. If you just did what I did, Friday day, Friday day, Friday night, Saturday day, Saturday night, and Sunday morning, you do that every single week across a year, you're going to meet for a few years back to back, you're going to meet more than 10,000 people. You can could, could meet 10,000 people in a year, no problem. In a year, if you really wanted, it's not necessary. Like I wouldn't recommend it, but if you really want to, you could. You could break down that mass pretty easy. So but let's put the mass to the side for a second, all right? This is not Mr. Johnson's class in year 10, all right? <laughs> okay, so why did I bring this all up? Because of how special people are. 
if I can tell you now, it's not only well over 10,000 people that I've met cold. We're looking at well over, if we're being really accurate, probably well over 20,000. Getting up, getting high, high tens of thousands of people I've met cold. And I'm telling you, I've only met five, five girls out of tens of thousands that were so special to me that I'll take a bullet for them indefinitely. You can start to understand where this desire to just want to love someone comes from. If you're truly whole, if you're truly at peace within yourself, you've done your work, you put your demons to bed, you're at peace with yourself, and that there's nothing else in your heart but just the wholesome and pure desire to simply give all of yourself to someone. Now, that's not give all of your financial net worth. That's not give all of your time and resources. It's to give all of your being to that person in a moment. There's nothing else. That's it. I don't want anything from you. I don't need anything from you. I don't even need another experience past this point. I just want that one opportunity, just in this moment between you and I, just to be able to show you all of me, all that I could give you. Comes in my eyes, comes in my voice, comes in my touch, comes in the way that I am with you, comes in the silence that I allow with you. Just give me that one shot, give me that one experience. Because when I look back on all the girls that have made it easy to love them, they give you that opportunity. Now, they, they weren't perfect. It's not to say they didn't have demons, or they didn't have her lockers, didn't have a few stitches in the arm. But they were easy enough, good enough. They were good enough to make it easy enough for me to get past that. They weren't so stitched up. The lockers weren't so full. To the point where they couldn't even feel the love that I was giving them. There's another girl that comes to mind right now. Where the childish version of myself just wanted to love her so much. Well, I remember coming off the date thinking. She's so good. Actually, we we could have been so good together. There's so much intensity between us. So much raw, animalistic sexual energy, both on a very uh, visceral level, but also on a very sensual level as well. She just wouldn't let me love her. I remember this, and this one girl in particular, we had spent a night at the beach. A night at the beach. And the entire date was just a struggle. But what let me know that she had the potential to be loved was that she was always on the precipice. She was always on the precipice of breaking. Breaking down her cold walls of opening herself up. I would see it in fleeting moments. Every now and again, she would connect her eyes with me. And when I looked into her eyes, they were just sparkles. There was just that diamond effect. It's like this infinity of shimmering. It's like when you look into someone's eyes and you're just not quite sure where to look, 
So you end up not looking and you just see. So there's no point to look at. When someone is looking at you, you find a point. It's like their vision is honed in. And so you know where on their, light, on their eye to look when they're speaking to you. Because they're thinking, they're targeting, they're processing. But when someone is just so free and let go, it's almost as if there is no point on their eye for which you to focus because they are not targeted on, focused on anything. And so it's like this infinity of glimmer, of shimmer, that you can see beauty in infinity in all parts of their eye. And so you end up stop looking and you just see. You know, it's to see without looking. As is tattooed on my arm. Shoulder, I should say. So, anyways, I got lost in the moment with that, remembering the way her eyes looked. And so I'll catch just a little moment of that. Catch a little moment of that when she would connect her eyes. And then, you know, with all of her little rambles, she would ramble, I let her ramble all night. You know, she's a very logical girl, very beautiful girl, but also very logical and just very deep in using words. And, you know, that's fine because of her occupation. I won't say what her occupation is. But it's a very uh, cognitive processing type occupation. And just, you know, I just let her exhaust herself. When I'm there, I was there on the sand as the moon's over us and the waves are crashing and like there's so much peace and presence and she's just going off like an absolute lawnmower. Just like, and there's this, I'm talking about this, I'm going to do this and then I'll do this. But then she said without, it's like, and I'm just lying down like with my head resting on my hand, kind of propped up on the sand, just like marveling at how someone could be so non-present <laughs> in a in a present environment. It was just it was incredible because she's just making it so hard to love her. <laughs> you know? That's all I could every now and again I'll just kind of tip out and just go, this is quite amazing how difficult this situation externally looks. It's like this girl looks like she's just never going to allow me to love her. She's never going to let me get a moment to just show her what it would mean to enter that full depth of love. But every now and again, and I actually a couple of times I, I had to press the issue in which that, okay, she's never going to look me in the eyes, so I've just got to get into a position where she has to look me in the eyes or we have to make eye contact. So I got up from lying down on the sand and I just sat down in front of her and you know we just got a little bit of eyes there, but she couldn't hold them for more than a second. She'll look me in the eyes for a second, then she'll giggle and break down laughing. She couldn't hold it. She couldn't hold it. But when she did look me in the eyes, I was like, it's just so magical the way you look me in the eyes. Like, I would say that to her. I'm like, it's just so magical the way you look me in the eyes. And of course, I'll make her get really embarrassed. She blushes. She looks away. She won't hold it. You build the pressure. You build the pressure, but you realize people have got their limits. So... You release the pressure by, ah, okay, anyways, enough of this. And you go for a walk or something. Social savviness 101. Release the pressure once you build it. Don't don't blow the bottle. And don't blow your top. So, and so throughout the whole night of her, I just, little glimmers like this, but the glimmers I got from her were so intense is what I'm talking about, which is what gave me the information that actually something that we have here be- could become what I know to be of one of those five other experiences I've had, of those girls that you would indefinitely, infinitely take a bullet for, that you 
that were truly able to let, and that's what they were truly able to let you love them. You think you want someone to love you, but I would argue back saying that what you really want is for someone to allow you to fully love them. For someone to be so free that they just offer you a blank canvas for which that you can paint all of your love, all of your eyes, all of your vocals, all of your touch, all of your way of being, all of the energy inside of you, that whatever you had there, it's, it's here, it's out, it's take it, do with it what you will. I don't need anything back. You can just keep it. We might not even need to see each other again after this. Take it. It's yours. When you're filled with love, when you're filled with peace and you're filled with joy, you just want to give it. It's one of the great, great realizations of coming to a place of harmony within yourself that it's inexhaustible. I didn't require a receipt. I was never looking for a kickback. Just, just have it. And it's one of the pain points of it as well in your early stage development is to realize that whether they take it or not does not diminish its quality. A diamond may sit out on an open bench market, but the audience only wants oranges. And so the diamond sits there amongst, amongst fields and benches of oranges being lapped up and people auctioning and people taking all these oranges and paying ungodly sums for oranges. Five million for this orange. And there's this diamond just sitting there, but no one's interested in diamonds. Does that diminish the quality of the diamond simply because the audience only desires oranges? Of course not. Of course not. The, the diamond shines bright. The diamond shines on its own regardless of its external validation, of its external and painted perceived value. The diamond knows its value. The diamond knows its quality. Your love knows its quality. All the desire to give the best of yourself to someone, that in and of itself innately is always going to be whole. It validates itself. So, I take that big sigh that I just took because that's the same big sigh that I took with that particular girl I was just talking about that she could have become one of those five or joined the ranks of those five that you just want to create and you just want to rise to the next level of human experience with. But she just would not let go of herself. And you know what, my friends, you guys might think, why wouldn't she let go of herself? Do you know why, Adam? I do. I do, my friends. Thank you for asking. <laughs> She'd been treated very poorly by her previous partner. Cheated on, cheated on for a very long period of time. Like we're talking about months, months and months and months. And when I, that made like a sustained period of time over months in which that she was actually not even in the same location as him. Like she had to go away for certain reasons. So that's it's why it's even more painful. It's not like it was... No, it's not that it makes it any better if she was in the same house as him at the same time, but it's like you you trusted in faith that you could leave and you partner would behave, but it wasn't. You know, it, it adds a different level of psychological trauma there. 
and I found this out. So, and then from there, you guys might think, well, does that mean it's the end? What it means is that, or what it meant in that scenario was that from that point on, I have not seen her again since then. And it's, I tried my best multiple times afterwards to always remain, well, I've never stopped. I've never stopped being open with her. She could come, like I've said to you about all the other girls I talked about, all the other girls that have broken connection always have a door back. I give a door back to anyone. Anyone in this world has a door back to me. No matter how much they wronged me, if they feel like that they have evolved and that they have rectified their mistakes, they have grown, the door's always open. You can always message me and say, hey, listen, Adam, I know that I fucked up in the past, but I'd like to talk about it and I'd like to try and resolve what I had previously broken. I'm always open to that. To me, it's like life is far, far too rare and far too fleeting of an experience to hold the grudge of not allowing someone someone the position ability to to grow and to rectify their previous mistakes now that doesn't mean you need to prostrate yourself and to force them to come to that place no it's like that's on them that's their work to do but your work to do is to remain open to it so what i was saying is that with that previous goal is like after that moon in the sand it's like Listen, as, as cool and as special as she could be, as what I know that she could be, I can't force that upon her. I can't force her to come to that. I can't, I'm not going to just say, hey, hey, I need, I really want to see you again. I really want you to come out. Even if there's that egoically dark part of you that wants that, that's your work to do to silence that and go, nah, it's, it's totally fine. It's over now. And it's over now. But the door is always open. Very emotional stuff bringing this, very emotional bringing these things up. I'm sure during this podcast, you've been, you guys have been feeling some feels as well. So I've, I've, I've painted, I don't want to end on this though. Like I, I, I want to give you guys the impression that this is everyone. There are some girls where they make it super easy to love them. Where, and you know, it's like, it's almost, you don't even believe it when you get to a certain age that some, you don't even believe how easy some girls can make it to love them. But it's just, I've been finding it's been very difficult to find that. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not that they don't exist. It's that it's overwhelmingly, particularly as a result of this chaos COVID COVID situation, I think everyone's mental health is suffering. Uh, Let me take that back. I think a lot of people's mental health is suffering. Everyone's not the right word because my mental health's not suffering. I feel stronger than ever just because I take strength in adversity. I like it when things get tough. I don't like that things had to go this way, but I like that I'm being given an opportunity to prove myself. So I'll, I invite I invite the hordes. It's like, come at me. This is what I've been training for. If there's a war in my, if there's a war in my footsteps, all right, I've been training. Like that, if you've been training and you've been stealing yourself, if you've been doing cold showers straight out of bed every single morning for the last three and a half years. You've been getting into the ocean every single night of winter. You've been training your body. You've been eating right. You've been digesting and learning the experiences of the world from the wisdom and masters. And it's like you've been doing everything you possibly could to make yourself the strongest version of yourself. And now all of a sudden, the chaos, a real chaos, a real dire situation has presented itself. Well, then you're ready. It's like, 
It's like the soldiers that go to boot camp and that train and train and train all day long during peacetime. There's nothing more that they want than to go out and defend their country. Now, they're not asking for a war, but they're not saying no. They're not they're not getting down because there's a war. There's not a shred of them that's going, I wish this war wasn't here. You know, it's not that at all. I'm, I'm going to fucking eat Cheetos all day. That's not a part of, that's not a soldier mindset. That is not a senshi mindset. That's not a Bushido mindset. A Bushido mindset is that I'd rather, I would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And that's how I treat my life. Whether the war appears or not, I'm still going to be training. So, so, Getting back there, on everyone's mental health, a lot of people's mental health has been affected. So that's why I feel like it's getting harder and harder to find girls that are easy to love, that they make it easy for you to love them. We might see this effect last for a long time. But let's be honest here, this is not just a result of COVID. I told you that it's really over the last three years. Now, COVID's only been around for just, just about two years, getting close to two years. Uh, really like a year and three quarters. But it was before COVID. I was still noticing that it was getting hard to find girls that make it easy to love them and, fi- and finding it more easy to find girls that make it harder to love them. So it's, it was not just a product of the ensuing chaos from the COVID situation. I, I'm, I'm aware of that. I feel like there is something else that's happening to culture. There's something else that's happening to society. It's something else that's going on in the psyche of the feminine collective, the way that they've been spoken to by mainstream media, the way that they're being treated by other males. Like I said, you know, it, it doesn't help that there's more, there are more white belts of social dynamics than ever before. It does not help. That's a really nice, that's not a bad conjecture. That's not a bad conjecture. There's just far more white belts than there used to be when I was younger. As in, AKA guys that don't know how to treat girls effectively and upstandingly and and ex- excellently there's not as many guys that are able to do that in fact no but it's not even that it's not that there's not as many guys who are able to do that there are just more guys who aren't able to do that you know what i'm saying it's like it doesn't matter if there's if every year if every year in australia let's just take one country to make it easier with the example if every year from 18 to 19 year olds Let's say one black belt of social dynamics evolves from a year 12 into a first year uni student. He'd been guided by the Wright brothers. And by the way, how, how does this happen? How does someone become a black belt of social dynamics? Well, first and foremost, naturally. First and foremost, the, the black belts of social dynamics will always be the naturals. They'll be the ones that were raised in a conducive social environment through their parents, siblings, friends, sporting groups, and other, all alike. And they've been exposed to this throughout their entire life and just brought up on this, have exposure, heavy exposure to members of the opposite gender. And just, they get reference and reference and reference. They are encouraged to socially express. They have not only been uh, nurtured, but they were also natured. They also come from a good line of genetics for their cognitive predisposition to learning social skills. They don't have any broken wires up in their prefrontal cortex, et cetera, et cetera. And all the other parts of the brain, of course. That's the tip. That's typically how people become black belts. Let's say though that 
more than one. Let's say, let's be conservative. Let's say 10 at the most. Let's say 10 black belts from, no, that's way too much. Five, five. Let's say five black belts emerge from each school in each district in each state of our country every year. I don't know how many schools there are on a... Do you guys want to do it? <laughs> Should we? Hang on, let me get this. Let me get this. You think you guys, I think you guys will find this interesting because I find this interesting. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. How many... I'm just going to go on my Google right now. Uh, how many schools in Australia? How many schools in Australia? Here we go. There are, as of 2020, there were how many secondary schools? Oh, that's New South Wales. Okay. There were about 9,542 primary and secondary combined and special schools in Australia. Okay. So that's not how many high schools there are in Australia. Hang on, just hang with me here. How many secondary schools are there in Australia? Listen, if I can't get this, if I can't get this in the next type, we'll just take a general number. Oh, here we go. In total, there are 6,256 primary schools and 1,385 secondary schools in the country. Oh, cool. Beauty. So there's 1,300, there's 1,300, I don't know. Oh, that's from 2015 though. That's a long time ago. That's no good. Okay, listen guys, it's going to take me, this is getting, this is, we're going to be on the point. All I was trying to get out here is that if we just took five, let's just say five black belts of social dynamics, as in people who are operating at the highest level of social dynamics, graduate each year from each school in each state in Australia. You know, let's just say there's, we can take some rough numbers here. Let's say, let's say, be really generous. Let's say somewhere between five to 10,000 black belts graduate each year. That's real. I know it's a little bit wide, but it's hard to know because I don't know how many high schools there are in Australia. But let's say about that. Let's say roughly about that, yeah? Somewhere between five to 10,000. I don't think... 10,000 would be very, very generous. 5,000 would be is where I think it's probably closer to. But let's just say that's the case. If we're saying it's no more than, I can definitely say that, there's no more than 10,000 black belts of social dynamics graduating each year from high school into the quote-unquote workforce, uni force, out into the real world, essentially. Let loose. So if there's there's no more than 10,000, then what are all the other students if I'm basing that off, what are all the other students? Well, there are mid-range. There are mid-range social dynamics. There are, you know, what would I classify as natural spectrum on the scale of social skill set from zero to 10, zero being the hard case of all hard cases, 10 being the natural of all naturals. The natural range is eight to 10. You've got zero to three, which is hard case. You've got four to seven, which is average, which is mid-range, which is nat- uh, neutrally adjusted, the average person. And you've got obviously spectrum within that. And then you've got eight to 10, which is definitely the natural spectrum of social dynamics. You've got seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zeros. Just looking at that, zero to seven versus eight to 10. 
you just by the very nature of the scale of social dynamics, you are going to see a disproportion of high level of human treatment in terms of one to one between in your society. If if the spectrum because here here's what I'm saying is what if why is it that the natural doesn't extend lower? Why is it why is there such a huge mid range? Is what I'm saying, and and a mid-range that extends down to the low range. Why isn't it five to 10 is natural? If you know what I'm saying, if you'd have to do away with the number five of those numbers, of course, you would just have to say that, well, you have to almost eliminate that in that analogy. But what I'm what I'm getting at here is that why is it such a thin slice of the spectrum that we can expect high level social dynamics from? Why is that the case? We can get into a very long discussion here on that. Let's just say I gave you examples before that you can rush, that you can reiterate, which is the nature and nurture, the things I talked about before in regards to nature and nurture as to why they're not naturals. You just have to flip it and go, okay, that person didn't have those parents, didn't have those friendship circles, didn't have that natural predisposition, uh, those genetic predispositions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can look at all that. That's why, but we're not going to go into the full depths of that now. But just look at the end outcome of it it makes sense that it doesn't matter how many black belts of social dynamics graduate each year into free society and to loose society in Australia if if it's only 10,000, if millions, yeah, yeah, if millions, if not hundreds of thousands, millions of less than black belt are graduating. And if a good portion of those other vast majority, hundreds of thousands to millions of people graduating are somewhere between zero to five. That's half. That's half of the scale are graduating with poor social dynamics. That's not even good, right? It's gooder to be a four or a five than a zero or one, but it's still not good to be operating on social dynamic principles of four or fives. You do not want to be there. You want to evolve from that as soon as possible. The whole reason why I brought this up is because this can give us an explanation as to why it's harder to find girls that make it easy to love them, and it's much more easier to find girls that make it harder to love them. If they're just experiencing far more white belt level social dynamics, if they're just getting treated really poorly more often, well, then it makes sense that they would have more opportunity to develop callus, build blockade, to deepen hurt lockers because of the way that they've been treated by such poor level social dynamics. It is the very nature of having a society in which that social dynamics is not at the forefront of people's development, in which that fucking maths, biology, and I'm not shitting on either of these, like maths, biology, science, English literature, this is what's being pushed on people. You know, get your degree, get, get your fucking degree, but don't learn about how to care for someone. Don't learn about empathy. Don't learn about being direct, congruent, authentic. Nah, fuck that shit. That's just for that's just for that crazy guy on YouTube. <laughs> that's just for the you go see Adam about that if you want. But hey, listen, we're not going to teach that in the curriculum. No way, no way. Care about human beings, of course, on human principles. No, no way, no way. That's just that stuff you got to learn outside school. Schooling, no, no. Schooling, no. Schooling is Pythagoras theorem. That's it. Then of course you're going. If kids are spending most of their day focused on things not to do with human principles, then you're going to see a vast disproportion and just this really lacking sense of high level of social dynamics when they graduate out into the real world. So hopefully that gives you guys a nice rational explanation of why I think that's happening.
Hey, how did we get to all this? <laughs> oh, we were just talking about that was the major, the larger topic of why it's so hard to find them. Uh, why, it's so, why it's so easy, sorry, to find girls that are making it hard to love them. You know? All the girls that have... this. Oh, that's right. I didn't want to end this podcast on a downer. Like, oh, I didn't want it to end in such a sullen way in which that you feel like, fuck, it's just so hard to find girls that... It's just... They make it easy just to be with them. You know what I mean? Because even though it is harder to find them, it's not that you can't find them. And I, I have to control myself around girls that make it easy to love them because I can become like a ravaged a ravaged loner out in the desert who's been starved of water for days upon days and has gone without food for months upon months and finally has found this oasis in the desert, which is this woman who is actually allowing me to love her, like to show that love, not to Disney fairy tale fucking be her husband love and get the white picket fence, no, to just be present with her fully. Now, when you actually kiss someone, are you actually kissing them? When you actually hold someone, are you actually holding them? Or are you up in your mind? Are you concerned with preconceived notions of expectations of having to fulfill certain desires? Or can you just be there with them to just moment by moment absorb and drink them in to allow the vessel of your life to be filled by their infinite, their infinite presence, their infinite love? Can, can, you, can you be in that place? Can you allow me to give you that place? Can you join me in that place? This is what we're talking about right here. You have to control yourself when you find that oasis, when you find that person that actually will allow that thing to happen. You can break your principles. You can act not from a negative intent, but actually from the best intent because that's all you wanted. But all of a sudden, your actions can come about as being needy, as being trying to message them too much because you just want to get you want to get into that place again. You want to experience that again because it's been so long since you experienced that. So you have to watch yourself. You have to control yourself and go, okay, this is this is making the very fibers of my existence shake. And so that should send me not a warning sign, but just a notification. Just a notification. Control yourself. I don't lose yourself here. It's okay. Relax. You know? Just relax. <sighs> okay. You know, by way, I was just about to say, I was going to say we could wrap on what, is a, what does it mean for a girl to make it easy to love her? What does that look like? But actually, if you were just paying attention to this podcast, you probably should already just be able to divulge that as of a result of hearing what it means for when a girl makes it hard to love her. If a girl that makes it hard to love her doesn't look you in the eyes, doesn't open up on her vocals, doesn't get sensual of her vocals, and doesn't reciprocate any level of touch, even just to the point of holding hands, you know, she's just completely lights off, switches off on all factors of sexual connection. If that's a girl that makes it hard to love her, then you can just divulge that a girl that makes it easy to love her is the complete opposite. She can stare at you in the eyes all day, every day. She can get sensual with her voice. She can massage your heart with her voice. She can take you to places with her silence. When she touches you, you feel like you're home. She but needs to rest a finger on your neck and slightly drag it 
and all of a sudden you feel like, um, you know, that, that's a girl that makes it easy to love her. She's so open, she's so free that you just feel like you're home with her. To the point where silence is the preferred mode of communication. When silence becomes the preferred mode of communication, that's when you know you're home. Yes, sir. <sighs> that, my friends, is an us. <laughs> We're going to us out on that. So, listen, listen. It's been a sesh. It's been an absolute sesh. You know, the mo- the intent for today's session was that I just wanted to get someone off my heart. I wanted to get, I've been wanting to talk about this for a little bit of time, but just have, quite frankly, the world is in very, the world needs other things right now. And I'm, I'm going to say this right here at the end of this podcast, just to update you guys. Because I said that this podcast, we were not going to touch on politics. We were not going to touch on anything but social dynamics. And you know what? It's been fucking brilliant. It's been absolutely brilliant. Everyone's lives right now is consumed with the, in quotes, pandemic. And for good reason, because it's messing up everyone's lives. However, if you've got to the end of this podcast and you felt like you've had a slight reprieve, you've just had a slight retreat from all of that and being able to just, hey, let's learn something else for a second. Let's just dive into something else. Let's feel something else. Let's rekindle some learnings in a different space Hopefully, I've been able to provide that for you. This has just been a good time. This has been a good time. I thank you all for being here. I had a good time. Thank you very much for diving into today's session. It was great to have you here, and I'd love your feedback. If you want to send me a message on either social media, on Instagram, or on Facebook, or through the website, all the links are down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to help to support the podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link or through boldoja.com. Again, all the links down below. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip, you can do so over at boldoja.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, a little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about. That will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through boldojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bold Coaching memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on boldojo.com. A nice five-track we call it an album but it's actually more of a course just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond if you'd like to help support this podcast you can donate anything that you wish through the paypal link which is paypal.me forward slash adam ui a-d-a-m-o-o-i or also directly on boldojo.com in the boldojo podcast section there's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well and anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that i'm doing here at the bowl So thank you very much. And finally, I wish you all the strength and power as you move forward in this life, not only learning how to interact better with other people, but learning how to interact better with yourself. Much peace and much joy. Ciao.